Right. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Great to be with you all. Um, I uh, wanted to uh, just let you know that we are continuing our study in uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah this morning in a message that I'm calling Relapse. But before we get into that message, uh, this past week was Veterans Day, and uh, we want to honor all of our veterans. So if you're a veteran and you're here, would you please stand and let us thank you for your service? Come on, you can do it. <clears throat> That's outstanding. I know uh, Dan is out in the hallway as well, I think, and we thank him for his service. So we're just uh, so grateful for you. Uh, for those watching on Facebook, my dad, uh, just uh, the freedom that you all fought for so that we enjoy today. We're just so grateful for your service. Uh, thank you. All right, so we're going to begin our message today as we think, think about Ezra chapter 9 and this message called Relapse. Before we get into the word, uh, let's go to the Lord and ask for help. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word and uh, just so many lessons in it. Uh, Lord, these events happened 2,500 years ago, and yet they're just as relevant to, as, as if they happened yesterday. Uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for your word and how it's living and active. Uh, Lord, uh, help it to convict us where necessary, and Lord, help us to be a light to a world that desperately needs it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, studies show that uh, for all people who enter into rehab for drug and alcohol addiction, uh, 40 to 60% of them relapse within just 30 days. And if you uh, take that out to a year, it's 85%. 85% of people uh, who enter into drug and alcohol rehab will relapse within a year. And uh, what we understand from this is, is that once we form destructive habits uh, and, and uh, enter into that lifestyle, it's very, very difficult to quit. There are just so many temptations that pull us back in, uh, pull an addict back into that life. Uh, hanging out with the wrong people, perhaps, uh, or going to the wrong places, or uh, just being around things uh, that, that cause them to, to leak back into that lifestyle. And, and it's no time at all if you start hanging around in the wrong places with the wrong people uh, that you become back in that lifestyle, that same destructive habits again. So uh, addicts have to completely separate themselves. They have to abandon their old way of life completely. Uh, if they want to stay clean. And not only that, they have to have a real strong desire to be clean. Uh, they have to desire uh, to have self-control and to make good decisions so that they won't enter into uh, these same habits again. Uh, some need to hit what they call rock bottom, uh, the place where uh, they recognize that the pain of addiction is worse than uh, the pain of living without the substance. And so uh, for an addict, uh, it, it's so hard. An addict needs all of these things uh, in order to, to have success, and not just for a day, but every day for the rest of their lives if they're going to have a chance at sobriety. Well, most of us are not addicted to drugs and alcohol, but uh, all people struggle with sin, right? We all struggle with sin. And even after we're saved, we're all prone to relapse back into the same old sins that we used to commit, right? Uh, we all have things in our lives that are particular uh, issues for us, problems for us perhaps, so ways that we are tempted to sin above uh, different kinds of sin. Uh, for some, maybe it's anger. For others, maybe it's lust. For others, maybe it's pride. Uh, whatever it happens to be, those sins are really hard to kill. And Paul talked about these things in Romans chapter 7, right? Even the esteemed Paul, right? The very things I don't want to do, these are the things that I continue to do. 
Well, why is it for the Apostle Paul and for us that sin is so hard to kill? Why is it that we relapse into the same old sins? Well, one reason is that, you know, for a time, sin is fun, right? We can't deny that, that there is some amount of fun to be had in sin. Uh, it makes us happy uh, until the bill comes due, right? The bill always comes due on sin, but for a time, it makes us happy, and pleasure is a very strong draw. Also, none of us wants to be rejected, right? When, when we leave a sinful lifestyle, well, we tend to leave those friends who are engaged in that sinful lifestyle as well, and, and we don't want that. We don't want them to reject us. Uh, we don't want to lose our friends, and so peer pressure is a reason why many of us might fall back into sin. And if those things weren't enough, we, we, we have these external forces, we have this internal force within ourselves, right? Our, our own sin nature, our own desire uh, to sin that we've inherited from Adam. Uh, and so we have to deal with that as well. So it's very easy for us to see why uh, relapse into sin is so highly likely, not just for drug and alcohol addicts, but for all people who sin, which means all of us, right? It's hard for all of us. So that's what we're talking about today, this relapse. We've reached Ezra chapter 9 now, and uh, if you've been paying attention, I've been trying to keep this letter R theme going throughout the whole uh, book of Ezra. So in chapters 1 and 2, we had return of the exiles, Ezra 3, rebuilding the temple, Ezra 4, resistance from the people of the land who didn't want them to rebuild that temple, Ezra 5 and 6, repenting from the sin of, of going back and building their own homes uh, rather than getting to work on the temple. And then a period of time passes when Ezra comes back and Ezra reveres the Lord through study, uh, through practice, and through uh, teaching the word. And now, uh, chapter 9, we will have relapse. Uh, to relapse means to go back, to fall back into old destructive behaviors. And, and the Jews relapsed back into this sin of intermarrying with the people of the land. Now, just to refresh, remember Ezra led this second wave of exiles back from Babylon. Uh, and so this was a period of time between Ezra chapter 6 and 7 when Ezra comes back. And now here's Ezra in the land. He comes, he, he uh, offers sacrifices, he delivers Artaxerxes' decrees to the officials. And before he can even uh, have a seat, uh, these people come to him. These officials, these leaders come with terrible news. The people and the priests and the Levites uh, who had been living in Jerusalem had not separated themselves from the pagan peoples of the land. They had intermarried with the sons uh, and daughters of the pagans, which had uh, tainted the holy uh, race of Israelites. And this was an immediate crisis that Ezra, as their leader, was going to have to deal with. And so this week, we're just going to see how Ezra threw himself and the nation on God's mercy uh, for this relapse. Uh, and next week, we'll see what Ezra actually did about the sin, uh, because what we'll see is that sin has consequences. Sin has to be dealt with, and, and it's not easy to deal with sin. And we'll talk about that next week as we conclude the book of Ezra. But before we even begin, before we even dive into the text, I want us to all approach this text with some humility. Uh, yes, the Israelites fell back into sin. They fell back into the same old habits that they used to do, uh, intermarrying with pagans. Uh, and they angered God by intermarrying with these people. And their sin jeopardized their freedom. Uh, God could have sent them right back into exile again. Uh, and it, it, of course, then jeopardized the, the future of Israel as a nation. But I want us to understand that, that we often relapse into sin too. And so what I want us to do is, is think about maybe 
that this incident isn't in the Bible so much that, that we will judge them for their relapse into sin, but that we'll examine ourselves and see where we uh, fall back into sin uh, and how that might anger God and cause him to discipline us. So what we see is that Ezra uh, confesses the sin of the nation, and he prays in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, we'll see that Ezra has a solution to the problem. We'll look at that next week. But the questions that I want us to consider uh, for these next two weeks are, this week, do we recognize our own sin? And next week, do we have a plan to eradicate it? So verses 1 and 2 that Becky read to us, the sin of the people. Uh, This word in in, uh, verse 1 is variously translated as officials or leaders or chiefs or or, uh, princes or captain. Uh, It just means uh, people who are in charge. Uh, But these were the Jewish leaders, like Zerubbabel was was their Jewish leader who brought them back some 60 years ago. Uh, So these are not Persian officials who are coming to Ezra. These are the Jewish officials who are coming to them. And the problem that they brought to them was that Israel has relapsed into sin. And it wasn't just, you know, the regular people, the common people, the Tom and Janes. This was them, but also the priests and the Levites. Like, these are the very people who are supposed to be the leaders who who are leading the people into a holy life and and a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And yet they are the ones who took the lead uh, intermarrying with the pagan peoples and and, and, uh, having children with these with these pagans and so uh, imagine Ezra's shock as he comes and then you know he's got Artaxerxes letter and he's excited to rebuild this uh, city and, and uh, you know do whatever God has for him to do and he doesn't even get to take a breath before he's confronted with this problem now remember we've we've jumped forward into Ezra's life which is now 458 BC the temple had been completed about 57 years ago in 515 BC so now you know, two to three generations, let's say, had passed, uh, kids and then grandkids and grandkids uh, being raised, and now it's this generation uh, who have slipped into this sin. And uh, people are prone to slip back into sin, right? They slip back into old, comfortable, convenient ways. And what we understand from our own sin uh, lives is that it takes incredible discipline uh, to maintain holy living because the, the, the pressure Uh, to sin is relentless. It's always there, right? We always have the temptation to sin. So uh, if we, uh, as people who have a sinful nature, are, if we don't match the pressure and temptation uh, from sin with this desire and and discipline to live holy lives, well, sin uh, is right there crouching at our door, and it will overtake us. Uh, And so we have to rely ourselves on the power of the Holy Spirit, which is an incredible gift to us, which, you know, in Ezra's day, they had not yet been given the Holy Spirit, but they did have the law, and they knew that God expected them to obey the law, and so they knew the law prohibited them from intermarrying with the pagans, but over the years, since they completed the temple, and a couple of generations had passed, well, you know, things tend to get a little lax. Their enthusiasm waned to the point that the people and even the priests and even the Levites began to intermarry with the people of the land. Now, these are the very people. Remember when Zerubbabel came to build the temple and the people of the land came and wanted to help build the temple. And Zerubbabel, instead of accepting their help, said, no, you have nothing in common with us. Well, why is that? 
That's because they were people who were dabbling in, uh, in Judaism, but they were also dabbling in pagan practices. And so Zerubbabel knew uh, that if the Jews allowed themselves to, to mix with these people, uh, the, the holy race would be diluted and they would, uh, they would relapse back into pagan practices. And so these are the same warnings that Zerubbabel gave, same warnings Moses gave all the way back in Exodus, all the way back in Deuteronomy, uh, that they would not or should not uh, intermarry with the peoples of the land. So now here we are only 57 years later, and look what's happened. The Israelites, their leaders, had done the very things that Moses and Zerubbabel warned them. And when they fell into uh, intermarriage with the pagans, the very same things that Zerubbabel and Moses were worried about are the things that happened. They fell into pagan abominations too. That would mean worship of other gods, uh, all kinds of sexual sin, temple prostitutes, child sacrifice, idol worship. That, that's why Ezra called them abominations. Uh, some of your Bibles may uh, translate that as detestable acts. Uh, same thing. Well, fast forward 2,500 years to our day, and not much has really changed, has it? Our society is full of abominations, and sometimes it's idolatry, sometimes it's sexual sin that tops the list, but all sin is a result of rejecting God and his standards. And so uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15 uh, comes to mind whenever I'm thinking about uh, historic sin and, and the, the sin that has just uh, sprouted up now, uh, becomes so prevalent in our society. It says, were they not ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. And isn't that uh, just a picture of our society, right? As, as sin has just uh, grown and grown over the, the last years, uh, that, that we don't even know how to blush. Now, Jeremiah was talking about Israel before the exile, but it applies equally to the Israelites after the exile during Ezra's day as just as much as it applies to our day. We've become so desensitized to sin uh, because it's all around us, uh, on the internet, on television, wherever you look, uh, that we don't even notice it or acknowledge it, uh, and we have forgotten how to blush. Well, one thing we know is that God is not afraid to discipline his people, and so uh, we as a nation would be wise to repent. So we ask ourselves, where are the leaders in government? Where are the leaders in church who condemn this wicked behavior? And sometimes, sadly, even in the church, there are not that many to be found. Uh, leaders today in both our government and, and even in some churches are the very people who are encouraging the people, leading the people into sin, promoting wickedness just like the Levites and the priests of Ezra's day. And so we need godly leaders just like they needed godly leaders back then. We need them in government and we need them in the church, people who are not afraid to call sin what it is and tell people that they need to repent. Well, Ezra was just such a leader, so let's look at his reaction to the terrible news that he received uh, in verses 3 and 4. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled out some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who was frightened by the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening offering." So Ezra's first reaction is horror. It's like, it's one thing to start tearing your robe, but then when you start pulling off your hair and start pulling out your beard, I mean, that really intensifies his revulsion at the conduct that they were doing, right? It's just, uh, it just shows the intensity of his hatred and how sickened he was over it. 
And these are the very same sins that, that were the reason that God caused them to go into exile 140 years ago during uh, the Babylonian captivity uh, all the way back then. Uh, and once the leaders fell into sin, once the priests and the Levites fell into sin, well, the people followed right behind. People will follow their leaders into good or into bad. And it's no different in our day. Uh, when government removes church, removes God from the public square and endorses immorality, and when our churches tend to water down the word of God and are afraid to call uh, evil evil and call evil good, well, the people will fall again right into sin. They will follow their leaders. And leaders can have the power to give people license to do the very things that their sin nature wants to do. Uh, and so leadership has to stand against that. Leadership has to call out sin. Uh, and so that's what Ezra did. He sat down appalled. Uh, your translation may say horrified. It may say astonished. It may say astounded. Uh, something like that. You, you get the sense of Ezra's shock at what happened. He had no words for the entire day. He sat there appalled. And then others who shared Ezra's horror at what had happened, they also gathered to him until the evening offering. And so at the evening offering, or after the evening offering, uh, Ezra then got up, and his response was to confess the sin of the people in verses 5 to 9. But at the evening offering, I stood up from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I bowed down on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, My God, I am ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our wrongful deeds have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, to this day we have been in great guilt, and because of our wrongful deeds, we, our kings, and our priests have been handed over to the kings of the land to sword, captivity, to plunder, and to open shame as it is to this day. For, but, for now, uh, but, but now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place so that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not abandoned us, but has extended favor to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving, to erect the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. So Ezra's reaction, horror and then confession. He began confessing in his humiliation, uh, but he was so humiliated he wouldn't even lift his head and look toward God because his shame was so great. And he acknowledges God's sovereignty throughout the generations. Israel had a long history of sin, and God was always uh, there to judge it when necessary. Uh, and God disciplined them because of their sin. Ezra acknowledges that. He, they, God handed them over to the kings of the land, the sword, to captivity, and to open shame. But Ezra also remembers that God has been gracious to them. Uh, he gives them, God does, gives them this chance uh, to uh, have uh, freedom, uh, to return from exile. Uh, God caused, himself caused Cyrus and Artaxerxes uh, to release them from exile. And Ezra called it a brief moment that God showed grace to his people. And so God shows grace, and what does Israel do with this grace? They blew it, right? They blew it big time, falling right back into the same sin. So Ezra's confession was spot on. This is exactly what he should have said. The people had sinned repeatedly against God, 
and uh, yet God remained gracious, giving them this opportunity. And so Ezra acknowledged that God had not abandoned them, that God had shown grace to them. And so even in their bondage and sin, uh, God gave them opportunity uh, to have another chance at freedom. And so Ezra confessed the sin of the nation, and he prayed to a gracious God. And this is one of the most outstanding attributes of God that Ezra points out here, and that is God's grace. Uh, think about God's grace. God sent his son to die on a cross while we were still his enemies, as Romans chapter 5, verse 8 puts it. Uh, so he could offer us grace when all we deserve is punishment and death. Uh, and God has the right to discipline us because all sin is against God first, and then it's against other people. Uh, for, for Ezra's people, uh, or the people before Ezra, God sent them into exile. And Ezra, of course, was worried after they came back that they sinned again. Who knows what God might do to them? Uh, God has the right to discipline however he deems appropriate. Now, for us uh, in 21st century United States, we don't know what discipline God may impose on us if we remain on the path that we're on. We just don't know. That's God's prerogative. But the lesson is we can choose to sin, but we don't get to choose the consequences. God is the one who deals or imposes the consequences and the discipline. And so uh, that's the thing about sin. We get to choose it, but we don't get to choose what happens after we let it out of the bottle. But we can count on two things with God. One is that God disciplines those he loves, and the other thing is that he's a God of love and grace, and we can trust God to do what's right. So Ezra confessed. And after he confessed, then he handed himself and the nation over to the mercy seat of God. So let's look at Ezra's plea after his confession, verses 10 to 15. And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have abandoned your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands with their abominations which have filled it from end to end and with their impurity. So now do not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or their prosperity, so that you may be strong and may eat the good things of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. And after everything that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, have spared us by inflicting less than our wrongdoing deserves, and have given us such as an escaped remnant as this, shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the peoples who commit these abominations? Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there was, would be no remnant nor anyone who would escape? Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, and no one can stand before you because of this. Well, Ezra knew that Israel had been so disobedient. They had no excuse. Ezra didn't even try to defend them. He knew that they were 100% in the wrong, and all Ezra could do was confess the sin and then uh, trust God's grace and mercy. Uh, Ezra acknowledged that God punished them less than they deserved, which, of course, is God giving mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And on the other hand, grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. And what they didn't deserve was that God gave them a remnant to leave Babylon, come back to Israel, return to the Holy Land. But now, as a result of this sin, Ezra's worried. Again, uh, God, what will our punishment be? Uh, would he punish this latest relapse with destruction even? And so he feared that God would spare no remnant of Israel. 
Now, he's been talking about God's grace. Why would Ezra be concerned about Israel's destruction? Well, it's because of two other attributes of God that Ezra alludes to here. And that's his holiness and his righteousness. Uh, God is holy. Uh, That means he's altogether separate from us. He's of a different substance than we are. Uh, He has no sin nature. He cannot sin and he cannot tolerate sin. And when he punishes sin, it's because he's holy. It's because of his righteous anger against sin. Now, I'm sure there were many people in Ezra's day who thought, well, you know, God, he's holy, but, you know, maybe he doesn't judge sin immediately, or uh, maybe uh, he's not going to judge sin at all. Maybe he's just a God of love and not a God of wrath. We have people in the world who think that about God today, don't we? Many people who love our God of love, but don't love our God of anger. And unfortunately, uh, that is a God of their own invention. That is not the real God. God is holy. Sin makes him angry. He must punish sin. And his holiness and his righteousness go hand in hand. God would not be righteous if he did not punish sin. So Ezra also knew about God's holiness and righteousness, just like he knew about God's grace. But he throws himself on God's grace and mercy, right? He says, we, I know we, we deserve punishment, but I'm asking for grace and mercy. And he says in verse 15, we are before you in our guilt. No one can stand before you because of this. Well, that's a summary of the human predicament, isn't it? I mean, that just doesn't apply to Ezra's day. That applies to anyone who has ever lived uh, after Adam's sin. All of the children of Adam are in this sin predicament. We are stained by the guilt of Adam's sin. We've inherited his sin nature, and as a result, we sin. And so we're guilty. Our sin separates us from God so that we cannot stand before him relying on anything in ourselves to say, look how righteous I am, God, uh, or look at the great works I've done, God, uh, and and think that we're going to avoid his holy wrath. Uh, We can't stand before God in anything in our own merit, uh, and yet we can stand before God if we are clothed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Because of God's great love for us, because of his grace, because of his mercy, uh, because of our great need, Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life that we could not have lived. And then he died a criminal's death on the cross for our sin in our place. uh, And he received all of God's holy wrath on himself so that God would not have to punish us who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And God offers us this grace free of charge And all we have to do to receive this incredible gift is to say, yes, Jesus. We acknowledge our sin, we repent of it, and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's like an incredible financial transaction where God takes our sin, charges Jesus' account, and then takes Jesus' righteousness and charges it to our account. And we are clean. Our sin debt is paid in full. It's the best deal ever. And when God looks at us, it's like he's looking at Jesus. He doesn't see us in our sin. He sees his perfect son. Not that he's forgotten our sin, but that he's forgiven our sin. And that's just incredible. And so he doesn't make us pay the penalty because Jesus already paid it. Well, who wouldn't want a deal like that, right? Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't want a deal like that. They love their sin. They don't want to repent of it. They don't want to humble themselves and say they're sinners in need of a savior, uh, or they don't want to rely on anything other than their good works. They think that they're good enough in their own strength. Whatever the reason is, the result is tragic. It's eternity apart from 
uh, God in, uh, spent in hell. And so God has given us this, this incredible gift in Jesus Christ. Now that's great news for us, but Ezra lived before the cross, right? He didn't have the assurance of salvation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. But he did know God in all his holiness and righteousness and wrath on the one hand, all those attributes, but also his love, mercy, and grace on the other hand. And so Ezra, he knows that they're in a pickle. I mean, God has the right to do whatever he wants to them. Uh, but Ezra knew uh, how to appeal to God, like, like a guilty defendant uh, would throw himself at the judge and, and beg for mercy. That's what Ezra does with the nation of Israel. Uh, he is, is confessing his sin, uh, the sin of the nation, and throwing himself on the mercy of God. Well, uh, that's where this chapter ends. It almost ends with this sense of anticipation. What's God going to do now? What's he going to do now? Well, in chapter 10, we're going to see that Ezra doesn't really wait to see what God's going to do next. Uh, he's going to do something about the sin himself. Uh, confession is great, uh, and we ought to confess, but we need to do something about the sin as well. And that's what Ezra does. And so we'll save that for next week. But for now, we'll just finish with some applications. <clears throat> and these apply uh, to personal sin and to national sin, meaning that we can follow these steps uh, for uh, sins that we personally commit and for sins that we commit nationally as a country, praying for the sins of the nation, even if we haven't personally committed those sins ourselves. So here's the first one. We need to identify sin and call it what it is. In the beginning, I said that I wanted us to ask two questions uh, over these next two weeks. Do we recognize our own sin and uh, do we have a plan to eradicate it? So the first thing is we have to be willing to identify sin in our own lives and call it what it is. Now for Ezra, this was easy, right? He didn't have to go consult Torah or consult with the leading priests uh, to see if what was happening was a sin, right? Everybody knew that intermarriage with the pagans was a sin, and these Israelites willfully did it anyway. Now, Ezra wasn't guilty of the sin, but Israel was. And so what does Ezra do? Well, even though it's not his sin, uh, he identifies that sin. Uh, he recognizes that, uh, that Israel had relapsed back into these old behaviors, uh, just like an addict will. An addict will relapse, and a sinner will relapse too. Uh, and so Ezra knew that if he, as the leader of this group of returning exiles, were to tolerate that sin, well, anything could happen, right? If, if that sin goes, then all sin goes. And before you know it, uh, you have a real mess on your hands. So Ezra, as a leader, knew that he had to, had to address this sin because if he didn't, there would be no hope of them avoiding God's wrath. So whether it's personal sin, uh, if, it's, if it's personal sin or if it's national sin, we, we don't rationalize it and we, we don't call it not sin. We don't call sin good. We don't tolerate it. We have to identify it and we have to call it what it is. Now, in our country, perhaps the biggest sin is idolatry. Perhaps it's sexual sin. I don't know how to rank these things. Uh, let's say it's idolatry. Idolatry is loving anything more than we love God. We put something else in God's place, whether that is uh, sexual sin, uh, ourselves, material desires, science, uh, whatever it happens to be. When we put that in God's place, we've made an idol out of it. In our country, we've said to God, we don't need you, and we don't want you, and we want you to stay out of our business. And maybe that's why we're in the mess we're in. 
Our postmodern society allows everyone to do what is right in their own eyes because there are no absolute standards of what is right and what is wrong. People don't believe that God has a standard of what's right and wrong. So no wonder we're in the state we're in. Uh, this is why we need to call out sin. We need to identify it just like Ezra did. And once we do, then we need to confess that sin, whether it's personal or national. Once we've identified it, well, then we confess it to God. Ezra confessed the sin of the nation, even though it wasn't his own sin. Now, we need to repent of sin as well, right? That's different than confession. Confession is acknowledging your sin. Repentance is turning away from your sin. Uh, But what is Ezra supposed to do? He didn't commit this sin, so he can't really repent of a sin he didn't commit. But we can repent for national sins, and I think that's what Ezra shows us here. Uh, For us, uh, we've removed God from schools, we've removed him from the public square, we've made laws that oppose everything that God stands for, Uh, and so we can confess that sin, but repentance happens inside each individual heart when when that person knows that he has sinned uh, or she has sinned and has to turn back to the Lord. So we can confess national sins, and we should do that. We should acknowledge those sins before God and tell him that it breaks our heart too to see where our country is headed and some of the things that our leaders endorse. Uh, But we can't repent of those sins. We can only pray for God's mercy on those sins. Now, if there's personal sin, of course, you can confess that sin and repent uh, repent of it as well. And we ought to all be doing that. So once we've identified sin, once we've confessed our sin, then we rely on God's mercy and grace like Ezra did. Now, you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, right? Our, that's, that should be a yes for everybody. That's an amen. That's well, a lot of heads nodding. Yes, uh, we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God has already forgiven those sins, right? So why do we need to confess those sins to God? Well, it's because our sin breaks fellowship with God. So even though we're not going to be judged on an eternal basis for our sins, we can't lose our salvation. Still, our unconfessed sin hinders our own personal walk with God. So uh, we confess those sins to God. We thank him for Jesus Christ and for his forgiveness. And then we enjoy restored fellowship with him. But for national sin, we do what Ezra did. We identify sin, we call it sin, we confess it, and then we rely on God's grace and mercy. Uh, You and I have the ability to vote. That's about what we have, right? Uh, We can lobby, I suppose, but uh, we can't change government by ourselves or change what's in our leaders' hearts. Uh, We can only ask for God's mercy and ask for God to do a work in them. Uh, The nation of Israel deserved God's wrath, but Ezra uh, also knew that God is a God of mercy and grace. And so that's what he appeals to, those attributes of God to avoid further punishment. Ezra knew there are consequences to sin, and next week we're going to see what they are. Uh, But he also knew that God is gracious. And so this brings me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a verse you all know. "If, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Well, I think our country is experiencing the consequences of sin and I think God is disciplining us. And like I said before, we can choose our sin, but we can't choose the consequences or how God chooses to discipline us. But even though Uh, our our nation has drifted far from God. It's never too late for us to ask for forgiveness and rely on God's mercy and grace. Where there has been relapse, there must be repentance and recommitment to God. And so we need to humble ourselves as a nation, pray to God, 
turn from our wicked ways, and then perhaps God will give us spiritual revival as he hears from heaven, forgives our sin, and heals our land. Let's pray. Lord God, we do confess the sin of our nation. Lord, we have drifted from you in so many ways. Uh, Lord, we don't have enough teachers who are teaching your word, and we don't have enough people guiding uh, the rest of the people, Lord, uh, to, to help know your ways and to know what it is that uh, angers you and, and to teach how uh, people need to live holy lives. And Lord, to teach about the grace that is available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up leaders uh, who are godly leaders, Lord, who will uh, help us in our time of need in this country. And Lord, uh, we just continue to humble ourselves before you. We know we deserve punishment, and yet we ask for grace and mercy. Lord, we pray that we will turn back to you and that you will heal our land. And Lord, we're just so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter what happens to our country, Lord, that you have promised salvation to us because we have received him as our Savior. Lord, we are just so grateful for that, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.